to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Well, like I alluded to in my prayer, we, we are in a conversation called Proof of Life, where we're taking a look at what it looks like to be fully alive and what it looks like to live in abundance and joy in that life. And we have all these physical vital signs that let us know that we're alive, things like our respiratory rate and our, blood, our, our, our uh, heart rate and, and our blood pressure, and they inform us of how healthy we are. And at times, it's hard to know where we're at on our spiritual journey. In fact, I ask that question to a lot of people, and oftentimes, it's a question where people pause and go, oh, I don't. I don't really know, or I don't know how to answer that, or I don't know where I'm at, because it's a little harder to say, hey, here's where I'm at in my spiritual health. And so we're going through these vital signs of life that are found in the book of First John. The first week, we talked about this first test called the light test. And essentially, it's how willing are you to step into the light with your life? How willing are you to live a life in the open, to, to share your struggles and your heartbreaks and the things that, that, that keep you up at night? How willing are you to live a confessional life where you're in relationship with other people, where things aren't kept in the dark? I always ask, like, how much of your life is kept hidden from the rest of the world? And that will, entail, that will inform you just how much life is available to you in any given moment. Because we were designed to live in the light because God is light. And anytime we decide to hide parts of our life or keep it hidden or step into a space where those are removed from the people around us, shame and condemnation and judgment enter in. And those, man, let me just tell you, they will kill any form of life within you. And last week, we talked about this, this passion test, how every single one of us were made for passion. We were made for energy. We were made for drive. We were made for intention. And where we direct and harness that energy and that intention will inform us of how much life is within us. That God is not attempting to control or manipulate us, but he's saying like, hey, if you would take your energy and move it towards these spaces, then your life will actually expand, that you will find yourself with greater levels of joy, greater levels of abundance when you find yourself there. And so today we're going to talk about this next proof of life, and this one's called the truth test. Have you ever asked yourself the question, do I know God? Even if you're not like a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not like really a religious person, you might have asked yourself like some type of the question. Even if you don't know if you know God, you might ask yourself the question, how do I know that I know God? If I wanted to know God, how might I know him? See, it's a little bit tricky with God when our when we're talking about our relationship with him and how we know him, of course, because God is a spirit and he's unseen. And so it's hard to know if we actually know him. You can know if you know other people, right? You, you, you can spend time with them. You can look at your calendar and say, oh yeah, I've been with them. You can call them up. You can have a conversation. You can go to dinner. You, 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 it would be weird for me to ask like the question, do I know Marla or do I know my parents or do I know my kids or do I know my friends? I, I know that I know them because I've been with them. Now, you may ask yourself the question, do I really know them, right? Do I really know the depths of who they are? Do I really know the, the in and outs of them? But you do know that you know them in some way, shape, or form. 
And so this is an important question that we have to ask ourselves on our spiritual journey, on this quest for life, is do I know God? And how do I know that I know him? Good for us, there's a really clear answer in 1 John. I don't know if you ever read the scriptures and you're looking for answers and it seems like it's a riddle, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, this kind of makes sense and maybe if I get a rabbi or a teacher or someone who can explain this, then I'll know. What I love about John is he's just like, here's the answer. And this is what he says in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. See, here's the, here's the simple answer that John gives us. The evidence of knowing God is obedience. And that might surprise you. Because you might think, oh, if I was to take a look at all of the indicators that I know God, it might be that, well, I go to church, or that I pray a lot, or that I've lit enough candles, or I've been through enough rituals, or I've given enough, or I do enough good things, or, or even that I believe a lot of things about him. But I actually think that this is why religion is so dangerous, because it can give us the illusion of knowledge. That we can go through all of the rituals, we can go through all of the acts, we can go through all the routines. Our behavior can even inform us of some way, shape, or form, but we may not actually know him because the scriptures actually say the indicator that you know God is that you obey him, that you follow what he says. And this may not be the answer that you were looking for. In fact, this answer may frustrate some of you because for many of us, obedience is just a a dirty word, isn't it? (laughs) And usually it's connected to our view of authority. And oftentimes when we talk about obedience, for many of us, it brings up images of like authoritarian leadership or people who are saying, you will obey me in some way, shape, or form. In fact, much of our understanding of obedience and authority is informed and impacted by our childhood. Whether it was a mom or a dad who was extremely controlling or maybe didn't give any commands at all and you were left wondering where I'm supposed to go or not go. Whether it was a teacher or an authority figure or someone who was in your life who abused their power over you. And so obedience now becomes something that we resist because it means control or manipulation or heartbreak in that. And so much of our understanding of this word authority and obedience come from what we understand through other people. Even the definition of obedience is submissive to the restraint or command of authority. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that just felt gross, right? (laughs) I mean, even all the main words like submit, restrain, command, authority. When I live, if I was to choose any words that I don't really like in my life, those would probably make on the list right there. And yet this... This is the test that God gives us to inform us of if we actually know him. See, here's what I found is that obedience when it comes to God is always in some way, shape, or form connected to his word, connected to the scriptures and how we relate to them in some way, shape, or form, how we view them, how we interact with them, how we engage with them. And in this book, there are so many commands that God gives us. And and here's the thing, they're not requests. They're actually commands. 
And look, as, as a pastor, I want to find all kinds of ways to massage language around that. I, I was trying to figure out this week how, how, to, how to lessen the word command. How to, how to be like, well, you know, God's a gentleman, and he gives these to us as options. But that's really not what he talks about. <laughs> these aren't like, hey, if you feel up to it on a Tuesday, maybe you should attempt this way of living. That's just not the way he gives us the scriptures in here. I know it's, it's a popular idea to think that these are just some suggestions among many suggestions that are given to us as, as to how to live life. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, they're just commands. Now, here's the thing. They're not forced on us. If God really wanted to force something on us, he could, he could make us engage life this way. But for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, these aren't presented as optional. They're not presented as like, hey, here's some good ideas to add to your good ideas. They're actually presented as commands to us in the way we are to live. But, but I think how God presents them is actually really important because it informs us of his heart and how he longs to interact with us as an authority, as someone who is longing for us to step into his life. Because I think that this is how God presents them. He basically says, look, this is the truth to the universe. It, it, when I created the universe, when I established it, when I put everything into motion, I put some like built-in rules and ways that the universe operates, and I would actually love to invite you into the secrets of the universe. I would love to inform you of how things work and how things operate and how relationships come together and what will bring you health and what will bring you wholeness. And he brings them into us into that. And when he gives us these commands, what he's essentially saying is, look, there's no other way. I've created all of this. I've set up the game. I've set up the stage for this thing called life. And you are welcome to play however else you want, but I'm going to command you to live this way because this is the only way that the universe was set up for us to win. And so it leads us to this bigger question and the evidence of this proof, the essence of this proof of life, the truth test. We have to all ask ourselves the question, what is our source of truth? Where do we get truth from? How do we as individuals engage this idea of truth? Now, I, I will be the first to say in our culture, truth has become like a four-letter word. <laughs> it is, it is, a, it is a, a word that so many of us are allergic to because we live in a society where, where I have my truth, and if I don't have it yet, then I'm supposed to find my authentic truth. And then you have your authentic truth that you're supposed to find and engage and live life like that. And everyone else has their authentic truth that they're supposed to live. And we are supposed to find that authentic truth and then live in that authentic truth. But here's the thing that I found, even in the definition of truth. Truth is only true because it is 100% accurate all the time for everyone. Otherwise, it wouldn't be truth. It's, see, truth is actually something that you can look at across the board for everyone involved and say, this is true because every single time we engage it, every single time we step into that, every single time we lean into this, it brings us the same results every single, every single time. See, when it isn't true 100% of the time, it's called an opinion. And oftentimes, we get the two mixed up. Our opinion on life, our opinion on how to live, our opinion on relationships versus like, hey, this is the truth of how things actually operate in the universe around us. In fact, it gets me mad when Christians feel like it is their mission to defend truth. Because here's the crazy thing. Truth of everything in this universe actually does not need defending. 
Truth is self-evident. <laughs> it is true because it's, well, 100% accurate all the time. That there is no organization that is out there defending the fact that the sky is blue. There is no sky is blue ministry out there saying, you know what, we really need to defend that the fact that the sky is blue because when you look up, you're just like, yep, there it is, it's blue. There is no ministry where people feel the need to defend gravity and to say, you know what, we're, we're going to wake up in the morning and make sure that everyone knows about the goodness of gravity and the laws of gravity and how it works because it's just self-evident. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about truth is that you can just look out and say, is it true 100% of the time? And if it's not, then it may not actually be true. But here's the thing. As appealing as it is to have your truth and my truth and their truth and everyone else's truth, you actually do not want to live in a world where truth is object subjective. You actually don't want to live in a world where we all have our own version of truth and everyone lives by that truth. I remember, gosh, probably a dozen years ago, I was meeting with a friend who was struggling with this idea of truth and, and whether or not they wanted to follow Jesus because this young woman kept saying, I just feel so narrow, it just feels so uninclusive, it just feels so, so arrogant to say that you have the lease on truth or that Jesus has the lease on truth. So I remember meeting her at this bar and I said, let's talk about it, let's go through all of your questions, let's talk through all the things that, that you're struggling with this idea. And, and she went through her whole gamut of just like, I, I just think that, that you should have your truth and I should have my truth and that we can live like that in harmony with one another. And I said, okay, no problem. And I grabbed her purse and walked, started walking out of the bar. And she said, wait, wait, what are you doing? And I said, I'm taking your purse. And she said, well, why are you taking my purse? And I said, because I need your money. And she said, no, no, you, what do you mean? You, I was like, no, I, I don't have money this week, and I need your money, and I'm assuming there's money in here, and if there's not money in here, I'm assuming there's valuables in here that I can take and sell, and I will take them. And she goes, I don't understand, what are you doing? And I said, well, look, this is my truth. I'm broke, right? <laughs> and I said, the tr my truth is also that there's money sitting right here, and I want to take it, and so my truth tells me that this belongs to me, and I'm going to walk out of here without it. And she quickly protested, you can't do that, that's mine, where are you going? No, give it back. And I said, oh, here's the thing. You're okay with everyone having their own subjective truth until it starts affecting you. Until other people's truth starts infringing on your truth, and then we have a problem because whose truth is true? Whose reality is the reality that wins out every single time? See, in a world where truth is subjective, people can be seen as objects and then bought and sold. In a world where truth is subjective, children can be abused because it feels good in the moment or because it seems right to someone out there. Labor can be exploited because, well, we need things built and we need things made and it's going to be okay. Races can be compared and put on hierarchies because that's the truth that I see. Freedoms can be given and taken away at will because that's the truth that I live in because that is just someone else's truth that they are living. And if truth is subjective, then we need to honor that truth as well. See, you don't actually want to live in a world where other people define what is true for themselves and then live it out as if that was the only way to live it. The world starts to break apart where there aren't at least some absolutes. Look, I'm not saying that there aren't shades of gray in the middle. But when we lose sight of the idea that there's actually a plumb line for truth, that there's actually a foundation for truth, things start to break apart. See, the fact of the matter is, is whether, like, whether you like it or not, you do have a source of truth. 
There is something that is informing what is true for you in your life and in the lives of other people and the lives around us. Here's the thing, though. For most of us, it's our feelings. For most of us, if it feels right, then it's true. If it feels good, then it's true. If it's comfortable, then it's true. If it makes me look good in some way, shape, or form, then it must be true. Isn't it fascinating that God almost always agrees with you? You know, when we, when we base our life on our own opinions, our own feelings, our own thoughts, it's amazing when I find myself in that place, how God always agrees with me. How he's never, he's never going to interrupt a thought, he's never going to interrupt a feeling, and how convenient life gets when we base our truth on what we feel to be good or right or pure in the moment, in any given situation. For other people, truth comes from a political spectrum, a political perspective in the world around you. It's amazing how polarizing we are today. And you can almost ask someone, hey, what's your opinion on this issue? And you know their opinion on every single other issue because we are informed by two different voices in the world and they can almost instantly inform us of where you stand and where you get your truth from. For others, it's your upbringing. For others, it's money. The question is about what our source of truth that we're using is, is is it working? Is it actually moving you towards life? Is it moving you towards wholeness? Is it moving you towards beauty? Does it work all the time across the board? And does it seem to bring you to life every single time that you engage in it? See, one question that we have to ask is, what is my source of truth? But we all have one. I guess the better question that we could ask is, can my source of truth actually be trusted? Whatever informs what is true for me, can I actually trust it to move me towards life? It's interesting because I found that I can be given almost any set of commands from a trusted source and I'll obey. If I know that that source can be trusted, if, if I know that, that, that the person or the entity or the thing that is giving those commands has my best interest in mind and is longing to move me towards life and is longing to have me step into the life that I was designed to live because there are some truths that actually open up endless possibilities. There are, when, when we actually find ourselves stepping into the truth, the truth that can be trusted, it actually opens up roads for us that were not there before, and it opens up pathways for us that we hadn't seen, and it opens up possibilities that were not there before. See, like, a red light is a command to stop. It is not an option. I know in California, we sometimes think stoplights and red lights are options, right? <laughs> Which is why we get the wonderful term California stop, but... But the reality is, is that when that light flashes red, it is a command to stop. And I'm grateful that for the majority of people on this planet, that they see that as a trusted command. Could you imagine driving down the street, and when a light turns red, everyone was like, is that true for me? I don't know if it's true for me. It doesn't feel right to stop. It actually doesn't feel good to stop. In fact, I have somewhere to go, so I'm just going to blow through this red light. Could you imagine how terrifying the world would be if every single red light was considered an optional truth among all the truths that were available to people? When I tell my kids, hey, don't put that in, their, in your mouth, that is a command and it is a trusted command. They don't always trust me, but it is a trusted command because in that moment I'm saying, hey, I don't want you to die or I don't want you to get sick or that is going to harm you in some way, shape, or form. Every single law that we have is some type of command and for the most part we can trust them because they actually move us towards a space of wholeness. I am grateful that there is a law that says you are not allowed to come into my house as you wish. 
that you have to knock on the door and then you have to come in. And if you're invited in, then you can come in. Could you imagine a world where people just walked into your house and took what they wanted? It would be horrifying. See, because there are truths, there are commands that actually allow us to step into freedom. The question we have to ask is, can the truth of God be trusted to bring us life? If it can't, don't follow it. Don't engage it. But if it can, it becomes a very powerful pathway to something really incredible in life around you. I love how David writes this in Psalms 119 when he's talking about the commands of God, the truths of God. He says this in Psalms 19.32. He says, I run the paths of your commands for you have broadened my understanding. And in some translations it actually says, because you have set my heart free. See, David says, look, I choose to run in the path of your commands because the end result of following your commands, of stepping into your truth, is that I'm set free, is that my life is now stepping into freedom that is so beautiful, and the understanding is that my life can now be expanded because I clearly see what's, they, what's there. I am able to run in my life. There's momentum now that is happening internally and around me because I know the truths of the universe that God himself has set up and I can see how the matrix is actually created and I know how to run in the middle of these. Uh, a few years back, we took Jackson to this playroom where they had this area with a bunch of funhouse mirrors. It was just a path that you were supposed to walk through but there were mirrors everywhere. And as we walked in, you know, it was like a kitty thing. And I thought, oh, this will be cute for Jackson. This will be fun to take him through. He'll enjoy this. And we start walking in, and instantly he runs into a mirror and starts crying. And I'm like, okay, this is, maybe this isn't going to be as fun as I thought it was. And so we start slowly walking, hands in front of us. They keep telling you, put your hands in front of you. And then as I'm walking and I get a little more confidence, bam, I run into a mirror, right? And now I'm like, okay, this, this is no longer fun, right? This is no longer exciting, because you can't tell what's in front of you. It, it seems like there's a clear path, and then you find yourself, bam, running into things. And we were moving rather quickly in the beginning, but by the end of it, we found ourselves basically like walking through the mirrors like this, and we had no intention of running into anything because we didn't know where there was gonna be another wall. We didn't know where there was gonna be another barrier. We didn't know when we were gonna hit something again because we couldn't see clearly in front of us. And see, what God says about his commands, what David is informing us here is he said, look, when you find God's commands, it removes all the mirrors. It removes all of the smoke and mirrors from your life. And it's like, here is clearly the path that will move you towards life, that will move you towards wholeness. And see, when David relates to the commands, the truths of God, I imagine he's just like, this is so awesome. <laughs> Thank you for this command. Thank you for that one. Because I imagine as he's running down the path, he's like, all right, which way, God? And God's like, go that way. And he goes, oh my gosh, a blessing. And then when God's like, this way or that way, go this way, do not go that way. And then as he goes this way, he sees over there and he's like, oh, there's a bunch of snakes over there. Thank you. I avoided that. <laughs> and see, when we know the commands of God, when we know the truths that he calls us to live by, it allows us to run through life. It gives us the momentum that we are looking for. It allows us to keep running the race. Otherwise, we find ourselves walking through life just guessing. Is this the right path? I don't know. At least it's a 50-50 chance, right? <laughs> and we find ourselves slowing down because we're not sure of the paths. We find ourselves losing momentum and energy because 
the way is unclear as to how we get to life. And life turns out to be at best a 50-50 chance of finding the life that we long for. How fast are you running your life? See, much of last week's conversation was about this, about how do we direct our energy. This is really about what informs how we direct our energy. And see, sometimes when we have these conversations, when I look at the commands of God, when I look about the truth that he lays in front of us, sometimes it can appear that he's either like a control freak or a killjoy. Let's be honest, ever feel like that when you're talking about the commands of God? Like, like, either God is just a control freak, and he wants to control every move I make, every step I take, every word I say, and it feels just really like an imposition. But here's the thing. If God wanted to control you, setting you free to make your own decisions would be a very bad option. I mean, if, you think, if, you're, if you're, like, into control, saying, hey, you get to decide is probably not the best option if you're the one longing to control. The fact that God actually says, do what you want, here are the commands, you're free to choose, informs us that he's not actually after control. And the other thing is that it oftentimes feels like God's a killjoy. Like, hey, here's all the fun things in life, here's all the enjoyable things in life, here's all the things that bring you a lot of pleasure, let's just take a look at this list, don't do any of them. Right? And this is, I think, why, why Christians at times get this idea, the, the, this reputation as being like not very fun, not very exciting, because we take it to the extreme. And, but sometimes when we look at God's commands, they just seem arbitrary. But I got to tell you, there's always a why. There's always a, hey, I'm not telling you this to kill your joy. I'm telling you this because this is how I set up the universe. And if you're willing to step into this, it will bring you life. Can I just get real for a moment and talk about like a, like a big cultural issue that I've been thinking about lately? I don't usually like to talk about these because we live in a world where there is no such thing as nuance. And the second you bring up any hot button issue, people immediately go, right? I mean, people immediately get nervous of what's their position, what are they gonna say? But look, here's the thing. The scriptures actually have a lot to say around marriage, relationships, and sexuality. And there's this specific context that God sets up called family that is so beautiful in the scriptures that he creates this context in which human beings are birthed into the world that connects us to this conversation around family. And, and here's what I understand from the scriptures is that sex is designed within the context of marriage and the scriptures define marriage as this lifelong covenant between a man and a woman forever. And you may disagree with that and that's okay, but I've been pondering this for a long time. I've actually been thinking about this, about how almost every societal issue would be solved with this one simple truth. And I've been pondering this for a very, very long time. There's, did you know right now that about 49% of children live in homes without a father? That's just in America. Children outside of a nuclear family are four times more likely to live in poverty. And so if we were to just step into this command, it would almost immediately eradicate the poverty issue that we live in in America. 63% of suicides come from youth with broken homes. And so it would almost immediately cut suicide rates among youth in half. 
87% of abortions are from those not yet married. So abortion would actually be reduced to about 13% of the rate that it is today. 85% of children with mental or behavioral disorders come from broken homes. So mental health would immediately get a boost in terms of how we engage it. And something that really hit home this week in light of the news is that 26 of the 27 most deadly shootings were done by fatherless men. 26 out of 27. Now let me say what I'm not saying with all of this. I am not saying that we don't need to have robust conversations and political actions around things like poverty and abortion access and mental health and gun control and safety. I am not saying that if you are here and you are a single mom or a single dad, that this is the destiny of your children. If you came from a broken home, I'm not saying that this is your destiny. Clearly, choice is involved in anything, and this is not to shame anyone in any context in any way, but it's interesting that as our society is trying to figure out these massive issues that are impacting us across the board, that there is no no conversation around God's design for the family. That there's really no conversation around, huh, maybe if God's command as to how we are to live our lives in this context, that it might actually move us forward. So it begs the question, maybe God's onto something. That, that maybe there's something in the design that we've forgotten. Or maybe we're just unwilling to address a simple issue like obedience, and we'd rather figure out how can we legislate this, or how can we mitigate this, or how can we fix our way out of this rather than going to the source of where some of this starts. Mark Twain said this about the truths of God. He said, it's not what I do not understand about the Bible that troubles me. It's what I do understand about the Bible that troubles me. Because sometimes I think we look at things like obedience and go, ah, I know it's what's needed, but I'm not willing to give up the right to myself to step into this new reality that will transform not only my life, but the world around me. See, what, what if God's commands weren't meant to control us, that they weren't meant to remove joy from our lives or to somehow turn us into religious prudes, but that when God gives us commands, what he's actually saying is, I'm actually attempting to set you free. Not just you, your whole community. I'm actually attempting to have you step into a space where you can see the matrix of the universe in front of you and that you can run through the paths of my commands. See, what if this wasn't about legislating rules and legalism, but it was just knowing how the universe operates so that we might fully live? You still with me? See, here's the beautiful thing, is that obedience doesn't just become the way that we know God, but it actually becomes the way that we love God as well. John, in his gospel, in verse four, chapter 14, verse 15, it says, if you love me, keep my commands. And then it continues. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
See, here's the beautiful thing is that that the truth of God always moves us towards love, always moves us towards, towards forgiveness, always moves us towards hope and beauty in relationships, and it moves us away from rigidity and self-righteousness. And then as you begin to follow the truths of God, the commands of God, you actually start to care about the things that he cares about. You actually start to love the things that he loves. You actually begin to see the things that he sees. Have you ever noticed in a relationship, in any relationship that you are in, you do not get to choose the act that demonstrates the love for the other person? How many of you are married and totally understand this, right? (laughs) That that you have your preferred way of loving. You have your preferred way that things are done for you. You have your way of engaging that, and your spouse has their way. And no matter how much you say, well, this is how I show love, you need to get with the program over here, it doesn't matter. When I met Marla, I mean, on the five love languages, I'm convinced that Marla only experiences love through physical touch. In my five love languages, I don't even think physical touch is on my list. And so when we first were dating, it was like a very disorienting experience because I'm like, honey, I'm throwing money at you. I'm throwing my time at you. I'm throwing my energy at you. I am serving you. And she's like, you don't love me. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm like, I don't understand. How are you not getting that I love you? Because she actually gets to choose that. And there is this clear connection between respect, obedience, and love. They are interconnected with one another. In fact, over the last few weeks, I've noticed that when I've come home, our house is like decluttered. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a person who if I'm in a cluttered environment, I cannot have peace. Anyone with me? You know what I'm talking about, right? Other people can just like, hey, there's toys everywhere, there's stuff, and they're like, whatever. I walk in and I'm just like, Ugh, right? Especially after a hard day of working with cluttered people and then coming home and having a cluttered house. I'm just like, nope, 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 we cannot do this. And I've noticed the last few weeks I've come home and the house is decluttered and it's like this beautiful environment. And, and Marla the other day was like, have you noticed that I've been making sure that the house is decluttered before you get home? And I said, yes, I have. And I have so much more peace in my heart. And I felt so loved in that moment. I was like, man, I have never felt more loved in my life that the toys are away. It's amazing, right? <laughs> And then the other night, Marla was cooking some uh, spaghetti squash and, and it was going, going good. And then I noticed that she's cooking spinach and she's about to put the spinach on the spaghetti squash for me. And I said, oh, hold on. You're not about to put that spinach on the spaghetti squash for me, are you? She said, yes, of course. And I said, hold, hold, on, hold on, you know I hate spinach with a passion, right? She said, no, you don't. I'm like, honey. We've been through this. I don't like spinach. You like spinach. You can eat it plain, olive oil, everything. You are the one who likes the spinach. I don't like the spinach. And she goes, honey, you've never told me this. And I'm like, honey, I've never felt so unseen, unloved in that moment. I was like, do you even know me? Right? And it's amazing how at one moment, there's like, man, she gets me, she loves me. And the next moment, over spinach, it's like, are we even connected? Do we need to have a therapy session, honey? Right? Because there's this clear connection between knowing someone and engaging in the things that they love and how that impacts the relationships. When we are allowing the truths of God to become our truths and then obey them, not only will we start running in the momentum that comes with life, but it communicates love for him. It communicates to him, I get you, I see you, I understand how you have set up the universe and I choose to submit myself to you. 
See, it's this beautiful space where you don't just know him, but it creates an intimacy and a reliance on him. It starts with love, and then Jesus says in this passage, after you start following, he says, I will give you this advocate, and this advocate is called the spirit of truth. See, it's interesting because an advocate is someone who fights on your behalf. That is like, hey, I'm here, I'm with you. I've been trying to get this medicine that I need through my insurance, and I have this advocate now that is advocating for me. And sometimes I get on the phone with her and the pharmacy, and man, I'm like, ooh, back up, because she's like, excuse me, Mr. Neighbor needs this, and you need to pay for this, and you need to get this taken care of. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. And she's like, nope, I'm your advocate. This is what I do. And I'm like, well, as long as you're allowed to use that language, that's okay. Just know that that's not coming from me. That's from her. She said that, right? (laughs) But an advocate's there to fight on your behalf, to make sure that you have what you need, to make sure that you are moving forward. And I love that this moment in the scriptures, this spirit of God is normally called the Holy Spirit, but here he is referred to as the spirit of truth. Why? Because truth fights for you. Truth always goes to battle for you. It says the spirit of truth begins to fight for your present, your future, your heart, your momentum, because you are willing to obey. And it creates this space in that moment where truth advocates for you. And it advocates for your future. And it advocates for what next? Because it will create life in you and around you. On the flip side, obedience is a clear statement that we don't love someone. And I don't care how much you say, like, I love you, I feel love you for you, and the data says otherwise you don't love them, I promise. So you can't say, I love her, and I just keep cheating. But I promise you, I love her. You can't say, no, I, I really, really do love them, I'm just unwilling to forgive. No, I, I really, 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 really love them, but I'm unwilling to serve them, or I'm unwilling to lay down my right to be right, or I'm unwilling to lay down my pride, but I really feel love, I promise you. It doesn't matter until you're willing to submit, until you're willing to step into the truth of that moment. It does not work, and it will leave you dead in the end. In any relationship, disobedience will will communicate a lack of love, and faithfulness will always communicate love. Anything else is just fantasy. So you can look at how much you are following the commands of God, and that will inform you of how much you are loving him in any space. And finally, Obedience is always the gateway to blessing. In Deuteronomy eleven twenty six through 28, it says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord, your God, I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord and turn away from the way I have commanded you today by following other gods which you have not known. See, the choice is really clear. Blessing if you obey, cursing if you disobey. I don't know how it could get more clear, right? This is like God saying, look, here are your options. You can choose a million dollars in your bank account today, or you can choose to go bankrupt. Which one would you like? It's up to you, completely up to you. You have complete control to do this. It is your choice, again, because God is about maximizing your freedom. And so he's saying, this is up to you. But here's the thing, when it comes to this truth test, is that we love to play the victim with our own choices. We love it, we we relish in it. See, God gives us this choice. And then when we choose to disobey, and the natural result of that is a cursing that flows into our life. When life starts to fall apart, when things start to break around us, and death and hopelessness naturally start to flow into our lives, into our relationship, and life starts to break down, we start to cry out, God, where are you? 
Why have you abandoned me? Why did you leave me here? And God's like, what? You made the choice. I just said, look, here's this path, here's this. This leads to life, this leads to death, this leads to blessing, this leads to cursing, your choice. And then when we go down this path, we blame him. See, part of this truth is learning a very hard lesson, and that is taking responsibility for your choices. I'm not saying everything that is bad that happens in your life is because you've made bad choices. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying every rough time that you go through, every hard trial is because you have chosen death, but I am saying that part of the reality is that God says you're, you're free to choose. And if you choose anything other than the commands that I have for you, just the natural result is that your life will move towards death. And it's your choice to choose whether you play by the rules of the universe or not, whether you engage the matrix or not, in the middle of that, you are more than free to play by your own truth, but in the end, it will leave you in death. It will leave you in pain. It will leave you in hopelessness. And see, in this, when we step into the truth of God, it allows us to take our spiritual power back and to say, I choose. I choose the commands that God has called me into. I choose the path that leads to life. I choose the path that leads to blessing. I choose the path that leads to hope. And I will take responsibility for those choices that move me into that space. See, if you're willing to shift your perspective on God's truth and commands from control and kill joy, from a power grab to the matrix to navigating the universe of your life, in that you will be set free. You will find life, and you will be released into joy. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I, I thank you for your commands. As, as hard as that is to hear for some of us, that truth has become a four-letter word that, that feels so controlling or it feels so uninclusive or it feels so difficult, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see how you want nothing but hope and life for us. Jesus, today we choose your commands, we choose your truth because we rely on that reality to know that in that we choose life, we choose blessing, we choose hope, we choose freedom, God. God, I pray for even those in the room today who may be tempted to step into shame or condemnation or judgment because maybe they're looking at areas of their life where they're like, man, I've just chosen to be outside of the commands of God. I've chosen to be outside of the, the, the truth that he's called me into. God, I pray right now that your spirit of love would overcome their hearts, that they would know that there is no condemnation in you, that there is just conviction and hope and future and love, God. God, and as we all step into this truth test this week, I pray that you would reveal to us the areas where we've been choosing death and cursing, not for condemnation, but so that we know where to shift, so that we know where to change, where we know where to transform. We thank you, Jesus. And if you're here today and you've not yet connected to Jesus, maybe this is a, like a new conversation for you. Maybe you've, maybe you've known Jesus for a long time, but you recognize that You've just, like been, you've just known about him. Maybe you recognize even today, wow, I haven't been really following his commands. I haven't really been running in the paths of his commands. Today, I want to invite you to step into a relationship with him. 
it's, it's nothing magical. It's just you declaring, hey, God, I choose you, and I choose your ways. I choose your truth. If that's you today, would you just look up at me and just like saying, hey, I'm ready to connect to Jesus? If you're online, you can just click that button that says, today I choose to follow Jesus. If you're on YouTube, you can just type in Jesus. We'll know what you're talking about. I want you just to pray this prayer with me. Nothing magical. You can just pray it in your mind or even if you want to out loud. It's just a prayer saying, I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. Nothing magical about this moment, but just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I'm broken and I know that you came and you died for me. And you came back to life so that I could live. And so today, I choose you as my Lord. I choose to run in the path of your commands that I might live and find joy. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.